You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach and speaker and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited for today's conversation with Andrew Talents, who is founder and managing partner of the Talents Partnership. He is a conscious leadership coach, motivational speaker, and author of Self-Coaching for Leaders. Andrew is an accredited associate of the Academy of Executive Coaches. Andrew has over 25 years of experience delivering a wide range of human capital solutions to a variety of organizations, and he founded the Talents Partnership in 2017 to support business leaders who have ambitious goals for themselves and for their organizations. He provides bespoke coaching programs focused on achieving ambitious career goals, and he also works with teams to improve understanding and over time move them towards becoming a high-performance team. We're going to talk about so many things today, building dream jobs and careers, the, uh, the author journey, the coaching journey. So without further ado, Andrew, first of all, thank you so much for making time to share your insights, share your stories with us, mostly to share your journey to reinvention with us. Uh, this is what we're most interested in here. So let's start off with your dream career and job. Tell us a little bit about that and how, how you dis- define your dream career and job and, and how you've built it. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, I think there are two sides to this. There's the the unconscious side about the dream job and then the more conscious side, and we'll talk about the inflection point later on. But I came from a family where it was a working class family uh, here in the UK. Um, We lived in an environment where it was government owned housing stock that we actually were living in at that point. My father had a, a good job but he'd never been to university at all. And I was the first individual to go to university in terms of the first generation. And I remember my father always saying to me, you've got to work hard, Andrew. You know, you've just got to graft. You've got to make sure that you put all the hours in. And so for me at that point of age 21, when I graduated from university, the dream job for me was an organization that gave me that opportunity to move through the the levels. You know, could I actually see myself moving through into higher positions and higher salaries? And the way to do that, as taught by my father, was hard work. So age 21 to 25, that's what I did. I worked in the energy sector, in the utility sector, uh, working with maths, numbers, because that's what I graduated in. Uh, but there was something within me which wasn't being fulfilled. And I actually thought, there's maybe more to this. And for some reason, um, there was an internal advertisement in the uh, organization I worked for, which is a, a public limited company at that point. And it said, do you want to go into HR? you know, come and help us build the future talent within the organization. And for some reason, I went for it, a mathematician going for a HR job. And again, the reason for that at that point was because I just thought I could help people. Don't know why, just thought I was here to help people. And I wasn't really helping in a maths role. So anyway, I went for the job. I didn't get the job. I got pushed back, so a big rejection. But at the same time, there was um, an advertisement in the national newspaper to become a recruitment consultant. Obviously, some of your listeners and viewers might understand recruitment consultants in being a certain type. But what I can say is that most of them do want to help people. And so for me, it was a chance to help people with their careers, learn something about myself. And to be quite honest, uh, again, you can earn quite a bit of money becoming a recruitment consultant. So I fell into that industry in 1995. And over the next 15 years, really, again, climbed up the various ladders through being very successful through sales and building relationships and long term relationships and ended up working in Spencer Stewart, who you know, were a large executive search firm. So traveled internationally. And in terms of the dream at that point, it was morphing a little bit, but it was still to help people, but it was actually to do it internationally, really learn about culture, learn about how different people worked, learn about how I could help get people in different geographies. And I had that opportunity. However, at this point, I was finding that living the dream wasn't everything because my relationship failed with my wife at that point. We had uh, a young daughter who was four or five years old, who I'm pleased to say now has a daughter herself, so my grandfather now. Um, But back there, thank you. But back then, 
Um, it was tough because I was traveling a lot. I was working so hard chasing the dream of, of being higher up in the organization. So that marriage failed, unfortunately. And uh, we divorced when I was about probably 27, 28, something like that. So quite young. Um, and then, um, of course, I was free and started to work really hard again. And I started to become a little bit unfulfilled because even though I wanted to help people, I was working in a very transactional environment where it was very processy and you couldn't really necessarily spend the time with people that you wanted. So I started you know, losing some relationships. I probably started drinking a little bit too much at that point, And it became a very process-oriented environment where every single day was the same. So I was starting to feel a little bit unfulfilled. And luckily, I had a company approach me in 2003, which is a small boutique. And they wanted me to become a director of the company. And suddenly, the dream was rekindled because I could get closer to the customers, the clients, and, and really want to, to, to focus on that. So I did that for a few years, but within me, there was still something about, well, actually, am I really helping these people? You know, what is the real dream? And it became less about money and less about organization, less getting to the top because I was on the board of the company now. And more about how can I really help these people? So I'll give you an example. If you were a search client of mine where you were the hirer and you were hiring a, a senior leader, I would actually be speaking to the candidates more about, is this the right fit for you? And coaching them through the process of actually trying to get the job or not, rather than necessarily looking after the client. You know, that's how I was doing it, yet the client was paying me. So there was an early sign there that actually I was probably, again, moving towards that kind of coaching type space, even though I didn't know it. And then back in probably 2015, something like that, I was approached by a friend of mine and said, like, you really should think about this coaching Thing. And I said, well, what is it? You know, you're a coach. I don't really know. I said, well, come to a few events, see what it's like. And for some reason, I really connected at that point with this real helping people. And so in 2017, I decided that I would leave the organization that I'd worked for for 13 years, uh, which was a big move. Um, I had shares in the company. I was a board director of the company. I was well respected in the company, but I just left. Uh, without anything to go to and set up my own business, as you mentioned, the Talents Partnership with no clients, with nothing. Took a £30,000 loan out from a local bank to keep us going for a, a few months. And I'm pleased to say from that point, I started to move into the coaching space, retrained and started to work with live clients in terms of the coaching space. But what I was finding at that point was actually I was still feeling unfulfilled because the reason I was doing it is because I recognized that I was probably the one that needed the help. Really, I'd been helping people for so long that actually I wasn't really helping myself. And I only realized that maybe two or three years into the job itself. So I've been chasing the dream in terms of what it looks like. I've been proactive. I've been going up different ladders. And I think that's the important thing. And if there's one learning point for me, it's that I probably should have asked for help sooner in my career rather than actually thinking I needed to do it all on my own. There's so much there uh, to, to unpack. There's a few areas that I really want to dig on. First of all, congratulations on becoming a grandfather. Thank you. That's why I'm looking like this. <laughs> already. There we go. Uh, uh, how old, by the way, is uh, your granddaughter? Uh, five weeks. Five weeks. Wow. Da uh, granddaughter, you said, right? Yeah, she's coming oh. later on today, so I'm going to see her. There we go. Sure. Five weeks. Well, congratulations. So brand new. You're only recently you. like here. Five weeks into Absolutely. grandfatherhood. Uh, that's very awesome. You know, there were there were some interesting highlights that I took away from that story. You know, one was, I guess, this discovery or self-awareness early in your career that you really enjoyed helping others. And then also realizing that the career path you were on was not really enabling that. It was not creating as many opportunities when you were focused more on the maths and the finances and that part of the business and that part of the work. And so, you know, you you made a decision to be able to, to go into another field where you could have the HR opportunity, like you said, where you could help yeah. people more directly and, you know, find a way to do that. I thought that was really interesting. And, and you talked, you said something uh, in particular about when after that HR opportunity, you fell into a different career, you know, now at an mm -hmm. that was at an international scale. And I think that's an interesting part of the journey that, you know, a lot of times when we look at people's careers, we think, and it looks very easily when you zoom out, like a smooth line that moves uh, up and to the right, you know, and it just keeps on getting better and better. But when you zoom in, you know, that's when you can really see the zigzags, the things that didn't seem so clear in the moment. And I think that when people say things like, and I hear this a lot, I fell into this or this opportunity came up. 
I wasn't really planning for it. I actually, I was just interviewing someone yesterday who said, I was planning to go this way. And then this opportunity to go that way came up. And you know what? That felt right at that moment. And it actually, I felt was going to make me better at the other thing later. So I went for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing to take away from this part of the story because it it's empowering to know that, look, you don't have to have every move mapped out and planned out. And what we just heard here, there was, you didn't have every move mapped out and planned out. Things happened along the way. You mentioned another thing, which I think is really important because it's not just careers, you know, it's also your family life and your personal life. And, and that, you know, unfortunately broke down that relationship broke down. And by the way, like I, a little bit, I was just a little bit older than you when that happened. For me, it was, I think at 29 was when I got divorced. And so that was, you know, something when going on my career path, really focused on all of that, thinking I'll, I'll I'll focus on the relationship after I'm done with fill in the blank, whatever that moment is. And well, we didn't make it to that moment. So there was no no opportunity to focus on the relationship. And we actually both made a very similar mistake in that way because we both thought when this happens, then we can focus on the relationship and it didn't get there. So, you know, these things are part of the journey. A lot of learning comes from it, no doubt. Um, I, I know I can speak from my experience and I'm sure you would agree, but that's an important thing to be mindful of. I feel like that's something that we can take away from your story is that, you know, yes, there is your career part, but there is also your family part you know, don't let that just pass on by and don't take that for granted because that is also important. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, even with something like that happening, you know, you're, you're also, uh, fortunately, you know, here you are, you're a grandfather. Now you had, you had a daughter that came out of that relationship who now has her own daughter. So, uh, I think that's really, it's, it's a, it's a nice ending, you know, a continue or I would say continuation of the story. I should say it's not an ending because five weeks old, that's the beginning of the next generation. A couple other things I wanted to highlight here that I think are going to be important for our listeners is you started to discover that career became less about the money and getting to the top and more about helping people. And so let's dig in on this part a little bit, because I think this is really important. It sounded like, and you know, I'm, I'm, this is where I, I'm, this is what I heard. You started to become more aware of yourself. You started to understand yourself better in terms of what mattered to you. And all of a sudden you were able to kind of release yourself from this, I guess, the burden of, chasing money and titles and really start embracing this idea of helping people. And then, you know, if I look at the zoomed out version of that story, it seems that got you to the point where you were able to build the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to leave this role and I'm going to go pursue this full time and do it on my terms, my way, even if I don't have anything lined up and I'm going to take these risks. But a lot, I feel like a lot of that came from knowing yourself so well through these experiences and doing that. Tell us more about that. Let's dig into that transition, going from that moment to the decision to start your own business. Yeah, and it's a really interesting point. There are two aspects to that. And I think um, some of us are lucky to have friends, mentors, coaches that can enable us to stand back at certain points to really take a look at what's going on. But many of us don't. And at that point, I probably didn't because of my hard working. I remember uh, my best man, actually, from my first uh, marriage. I met up with him uh, back in my hometown about six months after I'd last met him when I was going through this phase of, you know, not particularly being happy and recognizing I needed to change. And he just looked me in the eye over a couple of beers and just said, "Uh, you're different. You know, this is not the Andrew that I remember when you got married and I was the best man. You know, you're cold. You never talk to me. So that was a real wake up call for me that one of my best friends from the past who I thought I would just re-engage with again, as it was before, was really telling me some harsh truth. So I had that. But also it was a level of unhappiness um, at that point of actually earning money and being in the club, if you like, of being with these high flying executives and traveling the world, but actually you know, partying hard and not really feeling fulfilled every single morning when I woke up. So that was a point where, again, I had to look at myself and say, well, do I want to be like this still for the next few months? Or can I change it? If I stay here and have this life and earn this money, then I'm probably not. So you're right. It's those wake up calls and then going to seek some counsel from friends once the awareness is there. If you were me, what would you do? And actually, I'm in this situation, but I'm not sure. I was thinking about doing this. How did you do it? I can see you actually did it. And now we're earning less money. You seem happier. So it was those kinds of things, which I didn't know at the time was going to really help me, but um, it certainly did at that point. And that's where I made the decision then to lead that organization. 
to go and do something completely different. You know, one of the things that I'm hearing here is the role that getting different perspectives played in this journey and the wake up calls. And it sounds like you were very fortunate to have a dear friend who took that time and decided to call you out on something and let you know what they were seeing that that's powerful to have, or that's really special to have that opportunity to reflect with someone you trust and let, and, and hear it from them. I'm sure that meant a lot, but one of the things I often talk about is a key strategies to constant and never constant and never ending reinvention is always leaving the door open to different people's voices and perspectives that when you have that opportunity, when that pipeline is always flowing with new people, new ideas and new perspectives, you know, these opportunities happen because it's hard for us on our own to notice all of these things. We're in it. So when you're in it, you really can't see. And it's really difficult to do that. I mean, as coaches, you know, we know this. This is why we get hired to help other people because they need an outsider looking in. And so, you know, working together, we can get a lot done. But the same thing, of course, for us as coaches, we need somebody looking in. And so I think that this was really important, the role that other people play on your journey in terms of helping you see that and discover that about yourself so that you can begin moving. Can you tell us now a little bit more before we move into your author journey? Because I really want to talk about your book. Let's talk a little bit about the, how do I put this? Kind of like the the buildup or the march to the decision to quit the job and then or to start the business. I mean, it sounds like that was a package deal. It was like, it was really, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong here, the decision to build, to start a business and then you're like, well, I have to quit this job to do that. Or was it the other way around? Tell us more about just that transition, because I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of our listeners are going to enjoy learning about, uh, because they might be thinking about doing something similar. And it's always great to hear from someone who's already walked that path. Yeah, I'll tell you the the, the journey. And actually, I incorporate into my coaching now with my clients, um, because I experienced it myself, not through a coach, but just the learning. So there are a few factors going on. I think when anyone changes a role or leaves an organization, there are push factors and there are some pull factors. So what's pushing you out of the organization or what's drawing you to something else? And there were definitely those things going on in my organization at that point. We had a few changes at board level, which meant that my role had changed a little bit, which I wasn't unhappy with. But I'd worked out through this self-reflection I wanted to spend more time on the coaching and leadership development side of what a human resources consultancy business did, which was what our exec- executive search firm was. So because I decided that and was clear about it, I went to my board, of which I was a board director, and said, look, I think we've got a great opportunity here. We talked about it in the past. I want to grow this particular part of the business within our company, and I'm going to you know, really grow it. I'm going to have some targets. I want to be held accountable, but that's where my passion is now. That's what I really want to do. So that was a you know, a factor for me to stay. It was very clear from the strategy of the company at that point that they wanted to stick to executive search. And I respect that decision. It was what they wanted to do through the ownership structure. So that for me at that point was a push factor to say, well, look, you can't do it here. Okay, so I had to make that decision. Okay, well, do I stay here doing the stuff I don't really enjoy? Or do I go and do it somewhere else? The second factor was about structure. And again, within the board, and it's about commitment. So I was actually asked at the time, because of the changes that were going on, that they really needed me to commit to another five years of staying with the company, and I'd already been there 12. So again, I envisioned myself in the future and thought, okay, five years from now, can I really see myself being fulfilled and happy in this company if I can't be doing the leadership coaching piece? And the answer to that was no. So I had to look my fellow directors in the eye and say, I'm either here now for the next five years, or I'm not here. And so those were the two real things that made me decide, along with the pull factors of curiosity around coaching and what that could look like, and some encouragement from some mentors that I knew to make that tough decision. I remember it now. It was a hard conversation because I just said, I'm leaving. You can't persuade me any differently. I'm going to go and live this life now of coaching. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. I'd rather do it here, but I can't. So uh, we'll keep in touch and we'll help each other. And we did. We had an agreement for about six months where we helped each other out because I wasn't doing search and they weren't doing coaching. So. Um, so that, that's how it happened. And I guess it's similar for a lot of other people. Lots of things to consider. But I think the important point is having a clear idea about what it is you want to do, testing whether you can do it in your current organization. And if you can't, then making the decision whether to go. That right there is so important. I think that you know a lot of times it's easy to think, well, the only way to get what I want is to quit, which is, I mean, and then what happens? <laughs> but you're not always thinking about what the next step is. You're just thinking it's to quit. But I think that this... You know, so it's it's to stay and do what I'm what I've been doing, 
or to quit and go pursue my new thing. And, you know, it's easy not to think about the third choice, that middle option. What if I stayed here doing the thing I want to do? What if there was a way to do that? And you asked that question, which is the most important thing. Because you asked that question of yourself, it drove you then to ask that question of your organization and of the leaders in your organization. Now, you didn't get the answer you wanted. And it's interesting because I, I was uh, in another podcast. I spoke with a studio exec where he did ask that question and they did take him up on that offer. You know, the, the point of this strategy is not that you're going to get a yes or a no and all that. It's that you have to ask yeah. because you never know. it. Sometimes it might be the right thing for the organization and they might say, you know what, this sounds right. And in other cases, they may not. I had a similar situation happen with me. I teach at University of Pennsylvania. And I, I actually tried quitting <laughs> and I told him what I really wanted. I said, this is what I really want to do. And, you know, what I'm doing right now is no longer aligned. This would be more aligned. And at the time it wasn't available, but they found a way to say, let's just keep you on for a little bit, for a little while. And let's see if we can come up with something that is aligned. And they did. They were able to find the perfect alignment. They're like, what you asked for? We have that opportunity, like perfectly designed right now. If you'll take it, then you're in, it's yours. And I, I just thought, wow, I'm so glad we had that conversation. And it wasn't just, you know what, I must quit or I must stay and continue to do this thing that no longer feels aligned. And so the lesson I think here for anybody who's listening in on this is, you know, you have to ask, you never know. There's always a third option. There's always another idea. Just ask yourself, what else can I do here? What else can I do? Get a few more ideas. And I would even challenge to like, not just get a third option, create a fourth or a fifth, find a sixth option. I mean, that's what you and I as coaches do for our clients. We just keep asking what else. When someone says, I've got two ideas, I'm like, I want seven <laughs> because I'm, I'm here to squeeze those extra pushups out of you. I'm not here to have you do two pushups. Anybody can do two. I want to see 10, you know? And so I think that was, you did that to yourself really well. And that was important. The other thing that, that stood out from your story was, this question you asked yourself about, you know, five years from now, if I'm not doing what I know is what I want to be doing, could I be fulfilled? Like, is there, a, is there a way to still walk out of this thing five years later fulfilled? And, you know, you, you had a very difficult answer for that. And the answer was no, um, but it was the honest answer. And you, you answered that honestly to yourself. And I think that's an important question that anyone listening could take away as well is you have to ask yourself that is the can you do this for another five years if it's not aligned with what you want? I think that when we I think many times, it's easy not to ask ourselves, or maybe we don't even think to ask ourselves or give ourselves permission to ask ourselves that question. And then we can just go on five more years, really just unfulfilled. And then maybe becoming someone we, we're not really along the way. And I think it's super empowering to hear that that was a question you stopped to ask yourself. In my book, I wrote something similar about how, you know, I asked myself, you know, thinking about my future self, I wanted to see like, would future me like, how would I feel in the future if I didn't take this decision today? What happens if I don't act on what I know about myself right now? And the answer was not good. Mm -hmm. Like, I just thought, wow, this is not a good answer. It's this is worse than the bad side of taking the action. So, I mean, uh, you know, because there was a lot of risk in quitting. But there was way more risk in not quitting. And you asked yourself that question and you saw that weight and you're like, you know what? There's less, relatively speaking, there's less risk in this, in your case, because you knew there was something else you wanted. And so I just wanted to lift those two up because I know people listening on the call, this is something you can ask yourself right now. And to have these powerful questions that Andrew asked himself, these are the kinds of things that will help you make better decisions along your own journey to reinvention. So let's move into another phase of your career, the author journey, because I think that there are listeners who are curious about writing a book. And I've had many people on, on the podcast already who have written a book. And I always love asking about that author journey. There's always a different way that they got there. And I'd love to hear yours. Tell us about your author journey, how you came to that. So I think we all have a book in us. And I think many of us think, oh, who's going to be really interested in my story? Well, the, the fact it's unique. And as you're doing on these podcasts, you know, listening to a different perspective and how it worked, we take little bits from it. So I had known a few book, people that had written books and I was thinking, well, you know, that's great. That's so clever how they did that. I can't write. I didn't feel particularly creative. And it was interesting. I went to um, a KPI conference and there they did a bit of manifestation and asking what you want to do if you had a blank sheet of paper. And I wrote down on my little notes here, you know what, this is 2017. It'd be nice if I could write a book 
about something, maybe coaching or something. It'd be nice just to leave something behind. And I put it away and didn't really do anything about it. And then in 2020, when COVID hit, I had a bit more time on my hands. I was doing coaching online and, um, you know, doing less of it. And I just looked back to my notes and it was there in terms of, uh, you know, write this book. And it just seemed like the right opportunity. And what came into my head at that point was not a great idea about a story or a book. It was basically informed by what's been going on for my clients. And what had been going on for my clients in terms of coaching was a series of steps that they were going through in terms of the coaching journey, which I thought to myself, well, you know what, actually, wouldn't it be great if once they finished coaching with me, they could continue on this cycle and just keep doing it and doing it and learn how to coach themselves. So I did some research. I had a look around. I couldn't see any literature on self-coaching. I couldn't see anything for leaders. So I just thought, well, this is a no-brainer. Just So the way we got to the book is um, I partnered with an organization that had a webinar platform, and I just started doing a few webinars on the topics of self-coaching. And suddenly I built some confidence in uh, the conversations and the topics that were coming up. And before I knew it, I had enough content to probably write a book. And so um, I went to a different conference. And at that point, um, there was an individual there who focused on supporting authors who wanted to be authors in their own right, not because of the quality of their book, but because of the message they wanted to send out to their client base. And for me at that point, that was a real resonation for me. So um, I started to explore with them what it would look like. And they said, well, look, all you need to do is write 40,000 words. Sound like a lot. But 40,000 words for a chief executive or leader, that's all they want to read. You put the content down. We will actually reformat it. We'll professionalize it. We'll help you brainstorm some of the ideas. We'll put you with a buddy coach and we'll just make it very easy for you. You can publish on Amazon through us and we'll do it all. And I thought, well, that sounds like a great idea. I just have to offer my content, which I'd partly written through the webinars anyway, in that sense. So I start on the journey back in March 2021. That's when I started writing the book. And it took me till about December uh, to get it all finalized. And uh, Rethink Press, who my publisher, were very good at partnering with me, took a coaching approach, gave me some structure, helped me with um, some of the language, removed the repetition, helped me with a book cover. And then we went backwards and forwards. And then it was published in December 21. And I was so proud of it when it arrived. And the great thing about it now, it's a leave behind, you know, because it's what I do. Um, it's written in my language. It's um, about my clients. And all I do now when I want to work with the clients is just send them the book. Um, and then I follow up afterwards. So it was a really interesting journey. And I didn't think back in 2019 that I would be writing a book. Um, I thought about it two years earlier. That'd be nice to do it. Uh, but I never thought I'd do it. So I think it was a case of opportunity in terms of timing, having some content which I thought was interesting and could help people, goes back to the helping. And thirdly, bumping into somebody like Rethink Press who we can make that easy for you. So those are probably the, the reasons behind doing it. And I'm very proud of it. And I'll write another one probably next year. I love that. Well, first of all, congratulations on the first book. And I can totally appreciate like how, that you're already thinking about the next book. Um, I felt the same way after writing it. And I, you know, I found a similar journey in the sense that, you know, once you learn the process for doing it, you know, you start to realize, wow, there's more than one book in me. Actually, there's probably a book in me every couple of years. If I, you know, really think about it, that, that's, you know, that would be easy, actually, that would not be that hard to do in terms of the content part of this formula that you mentioned. Um, but there are a few things here that really stand out for me that I thought were really interesting for anybody who is considering one is, you know, one, there's this idea going to what we just said, everyone has a book in them. And uh, yeah. I absolutely believe that clearly you believe that and know that uh, we both know that because we've done it. And, mm -hmm. and I, I know that's true for everyone. What that book is, I don't know. I'm, we're not there to define that book. It's going to be unique yeah. to your point. It's going to be unique for everyone. Everyone has this unique yeah. idea, uh, a unique story that makes that makes them who they are. And that's what would make the book unique. And so it's really a matter of just figuring out how to get that idea out or how to get that story out, how to get that book out of you. And you mentioned something to that effect, which I thought was really important. And it was that you started to do these, um, started to do these webinars that helped you work through the content. And I think that is such an important step and strategy for others to consider and follow 
you know, because once you start producing any content and it seems you led with the format that was most comfortable to you at the time, which was, I love teaching, put me on a camera, let me teach a group and I can do that. And you leverage that format to extract the book ideas, the ideas that would eventually become the book. And I think right there, that is super important for anyone listening to consider. Don't think that you have to sit down and write 40,000 words from scratch. No, you could record video content. You could interview people on podcasts or just interview them and record those interviews and capture lots of notes. To your point, the book was less about what was even inside of you, like just you originally. And it was more about the stories you had collected from your clients. It became yeah. a pat- like the, the patterns, no doubt, the insights and everything you learned from working with all these people and getting their stories, which is something else that I think is really important to any- writing any book. It's all about stories at the end of the day, as you and I have learned. And so if you can get those in whatever way you can get them, then have fun while you're getting them. You know, it doesn't have to be this boring task or this like tedious or difficult task. You could do it in the format that works best for you. So I, I, I took that away from your story. And I think that is really powerful, a very powerful strategy for anyone who is feeling stuck on that. Like they just have that idea. Maybe they went as far as you did. Like in um, when in 2017, I believe you said you wrote that down where you just thought it. And I love the way you put it. It'd be nice to write a book about coaching. That would be nice. (laughs) I mean, not a must, not anything. It would be nice to write a book about coaching and what I've learned and and leave something behind. And that was the seed that ultimately you planted, which eventually became that drive in 2020 to bring it to life, you know, to say, you know what, I look back at my notes and this is this is what's right for me. I love that you said as well that in 2019. Um, if we would have asked you in 2019, you would have been like, no way, like what, what book? <laughs> and you, not, you would not have thought about that. But, you know, like you said, timing played a role, you know, there, you had a little more space. And I think, you know, I don't want people to walk away thinking, well, I'll have to wait for the next pandemic to have my moment <laughs> where I think that, no, I think the takeaway here from your story is that the pandemic forced you to create space in your life. Well, it just gave yeah. you space in your life because you didn't have a choice. Like it just took things yeah. away. And that I think is the key right there. What can, if someone's listening in right now and thinks that there's no room in their life for this, maybe that's part of the, maybe that's what's holding you back is you need to create the space to be able to think freely about this and say, you know what, why not? Like, why don't I start? Like, maybe I can go into this. Any thoughts on that part of it, creating space, having space for those things more intentionally and not needing a pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think had the pandemic not happened, it would have happened after that in terms of me thinking, having that calling and creating the space. But I I agree with your point, uh, Roger, in terms of I think if you start small with whatever you're comfortable with in terms of blogging, you know, newsletters, uh, interviews, you said, podcasts, webinars, whatever it might be. And that's your own unique experience. And that builds up over a period of two, three, four, five months. You're immediately starting to get the essence of some kind of publication or a book. So then the space needed is to actually just step back to reflect on what it is that's in front of me now, what's forming in terms of a pattern of how this might look, and then get some professional support to actually take the headache and the administration and the hard bits away you know, and it's not too expensive uh, these days around that. They they also tend to build business models where they take a commission on sale. So that's how their business models work. So it's not too much cost up front. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, creating this doesn't need to be a lot of space, just enough to be able to reflect, oh yeah, I've actually got quite a bit of stuff here. And it's interesting. I just need someone to help me now bring it together. I spoke with somebody earlier or a couple of weeks ago, um, a a podcast episode that hasn't released yet, an author, Lisa DeAngelis, and uh, she wrote a book called Embracing the Unknown. And one of the things that she shared was uh, just this insight or this little bit of advice for listeners to always leave a little bit of room for that unexpected project, that unexpected opportunity, or that room for what you just cannot predict about your life so that when the right thing comes along, you've got a little room to take it. But if you live and operate at full capacity all of the time, Well, then, yeah, you'll probably always say no, even to what you want in life. You'll say no to it. And like you, you know, you you admitted like in 2019, you probably would have said no to it in 2019. Perhaps there was no room for that. But 2020 
you know, it was a difficult moment, but it did bring some gifts and it created a little space in your life for you to say, you know what, I can do this. So I appreciate you sharing that book journey. So now I want to move to the third topic that we're going to talk about today, uh, your coaching journey. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, um, you know, your business as well within the context of your journey to becoming a coach. Sure. And the more experienced coaches out there will probably relate to this journey. And hopefully some of the inexperienced ones will, will look forward to the journey that they're going to go on. So uh, I retrained in 2017, as I said, when I left my former company, set up this business. Um, it's a limited company, uh, just me. And I retrained in London with the Academy of Executive Coaching. And what I loved about that particular program was rather than actually stipulating and prescribing the type of coaching that you should adopt, it's very much asking the question, you know, who are you? Uh, as, a, as an individual. Who are you in terms of the type of work that you want to be doing? Who are you in terms of the type of people you want to serve? So it was very much from an inside out approach in terms of the kind of coach that you wanted to be. And that's how you were assessed. And I really enjoyed that. And it was very experiential as well for me. So I think some people either want to go down the theoretical route and some people the experiential. For me, it was experiential and, and that worked. So um, from that point, I was then so curious and wanted to know the latest tools and tried some psychodynamic uh, work and included Gestalt in that and just ra really started to build a toolkit of what things were interesting to me that seemed to be in service of my clients. And there was a period between 27 and 2019, 2020, when I had every single tool in the toolkit that my clients could possibly want. And a lot of the self-coaching book is, is based around that stuff. But then I learned, and it was actually interesting in 2020, I had a client return to me you know, during the pandemic who had been coached for, by me early in 2018. And they were using the tools that started to work themselves, but actually they wanted to go to the next level. And I was trying to work out what does that really mean? And I did a bit more research and started to learn the importance of presence in coaching. I've been so involved in doing in coaching and providing the tools and thinking in this moment, what is it my client needs, as opposed to actually just being present with them. And in my experience and through others I've worked with, over time, by becoming more experienced as a coach and becoming more relaxed about the tools that we're using, letting go of some of those things, because they're already within us and they're part of our resources that we have, enables the space again to open up to possibility by just being present with someone. Now, because you're probably the same, um, before I became a coach, I was seen as an expert. And many of us out there are seen as experts. We built our careers in terms of qualifying in this and that and developing technical expertise. And then we get paid more and we become experts. And what I started to learn was, is the real secret for me of me being a coach was actually not being the expert, but actually coming from a perspective of not knowing. So that in that moment with my client who was an expert, we could actually look at some other possibilities because I wasn't trying to judge them or trying to work out you know, who they really were. It was just about being present with them. So I've spent probably the last three years really working on my own self-coaching and through the support of other coaches and supervisors to improve my presence. And I was pretty rubbish back in 2020 because of COVID as well. So I wouldn't be listening to my wife at night about the kind of day that she'd had. I was saying yes, mm, yeah, in all the right places, but not really listening. I wasn't really listening to my kids. You know, I just wasn't present because I was thinking about the past or the future and not really being present. So through meditation, uh, mindfulness, um, through going on a course uh, with the Coaching Supervision Academy in London to really start to connect with who I am and recognize when I'm not present, to be able to me then become present has really helped inform my coaching. So I'm now starting to work at a deeper level with clients so that in the two hours we have together, they can really start to understand and find themselves without me getting in the way. And that's where the magic is uh, in the coaching, really. So for me, where my business is now, um, in terms of how that's informed my work, there tends to be four things that I, I get involved in. The one is the coaching, as I've described it, at a deeper level with leaders. And they need to be at a certain point in their journey for that. So, so, so to be appreciative of that. The second is then systemic team coaching, where we take that premise of deep coaching with teams. And I think there's a real opportunity to make a difference there. And I do a lot of that. The third is the self-coaching, which we've talked about in the book, but actually using AI to facilitate that. And that's really exciting at the moment to bring it to life in organizations 
to enable leaders to self-coach on tap through an app. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and education that goes around that. So that's exciting. And then the fourth, which is starting to gain some traction now through organizations in the States, such as the Conscious Leadership Group, um, starting to bring leaders together from different industries in a group scenario where they're starting to be vulnerable and talk about what conscious leadership means for them and how to actually learn from other leaders through peer-to-peer coaching. So they're the four things I'm involved in now. Love every minute of it. And um, I tend to let serendipity take me wherever it's going to take me next. I love that. I, you know, I think what you just shared about the the key to, you know, outstanding coaching, you know, is to be present. Um, you know, I, what, I, what I've called it, and I've heard it called, actually, that's why I call it now, is dancing in the moment, you know, with a client. It's the difference between playing organized basketball and pickup basketball, you know, with a group of guys that you never met, and you just asked, hey, do you need an extra guy in? And boom, and you're able to go in and and you can figure it out. You can fit in by reading everything happening in the moment and figure out how to behave best to make that work. And I feel like in coaching, you know, that's that for me is how I practice as well. I think for me, that moment of discovering that actually came from teaching when I used to be a math teacher. It was in the classroom that I learned to dance in the moment. And you have to, because when you're teaching sixth, seventh and eighth graders, you know, they will they will force you to dance in the moment. There is nothing predictable about teaching sixth grade, seventh graders, or eighth grade math. I taught at an all girls school and then I also taught at a high school and it was just there's nothing predictable about any days coming up. The curriculum may be predictable, but nothing about how you will experience that <laughs> that delivery and, and that forces you to learn that. And that served me so well working with clients as well. You learn to listen to all the details in the moment. But I think one of the important things about that is there are so many distractions going on as well. There's so many other things to pay attention to, obviously. And this skill of being present requires that, you know, we can even navigate or, or work through those distractions while they're happening. I don't know about you when you're speaking. I, I know you're a speaker as well. For me, when I'm speaking, I feel like I've hit this point where I can pay attention to a lot of the things happening in the room yeah. while I'm talking almost like on autopilot. So the talking has become autopilot and I'm taking in cues from the room, little details, something is something just fell in the back of the room, like, you know, and, and I, and I need to draw attention this way, not that way, all those little things. It's that dancing in that moment. It, it changes everything. Don't you think? It does. And what you're talking about is actually trusting in yourself. So the fact that, you know, because you've been practicing it and you're in the moment that actually you are trusting that whatever you're going to say in the next moment is the right thing. And when I mean the right thing, I don't mean accurate or that it lands well or that it's actually perfect. I mean, it's actually the right thing for you to say at that moment. If it's clumsy and it doesn't hit the mark, then it was meant to be. So it's trusting in that. And then, as you say, taking in. I mean, the athletes do this the best, don't they? So whether it's, uh, you know, Federer or any of the greats, they just are in the moment on the court because they can't be anywhere else in that sense. So I agree with you. Um, and I think where a lot of leaders find it very difficult, quite right, is because the amount of influx now of information and the complexity of organizations now in terms of remote working, et cetera, it's so important they take time out to be able to reflect and be in space where they can think and be in the moment to what's going on. And so many leaders find that very difficult. So we're very privileged as coaches to have been on that journey. We know it's not difficult and not easy in that sense. Uh, and particularly in team coaching as well, I think it's so important that we're present to again notice what's really going on and call it out. Now, there was another part of that. You know, it, you talked about the trusting, right? You said what I was doing on stage is I'm trusting myself to know what comes next. And I think that comes from one of the things you shared, which was important to you, is that, well, you also had to build up the tools. You had to acquire some of the tools. And then because they are already, then trust that they are a part of you. And so if we take that step back for a moment, the action there is, you know, acquire those tools. I mean, uh, so share with us some of the different ways that you acquire those tools. I mean, you shared a couple already. You, you, you took some of these classes. What are some of the other strategies or methods you have for acquiring new tools, skill sets, and ideas? Yeah. So I think there are probably three main ways. So the first is, and I wouldn't have said this either a few years ago, I've created space for reading. So I consume a lot of material and that's right from Eastern teaching to Western more processed teaching. And so having again, a wide range of reading to draw upon, 
not every book I read fully because I just can't engage with it, but just really being open-minded to what's out there and just seeing what sits well with me. So I've got my Kindle. It's my favorite possession. If I was on a desert island, the Kindle with an eternal battery would be the one um, that I would have. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is not to underestimate meeting with fellow coaches. I think sometimes coaches feel there's competition and maybe we can't learn, but actually just see what other coaches are doing and how they're bringing it to the practice. I can't remember the figure now, but there was something like an ICF survey maybe last month that in the world there are 91,000 registered coaches. And if we think about how many leaders there are in the world that really do need a coach, you know, we're not competing with each other. We actually should be collaborating with each other to share ideas about what works for us and what the latest thinking is in psychodynamic uh, coaching, etc. So uh, there was that. I also think the third thing which is important is supervision. There are different explanations of that in the States and, uh, and in the UK. But for me, supervision has helped me because it's helped me to reflect on what I'm doing, having a more experienced coach work with me as a supervisor and to actually question and challenge me and maybe suggest some other ways of doing things, but much more through experiencing our client work together and then it being relevant in terms of the context. So a little bit more reflective practice, but with some input from a senior in that's an elder. So they're probably the three main ways that I've managed to expand my learning as well as the courses. That's great. I, I think that, you know, those strategies apply to really anything else as well. You know, whatever it is for us, it's coaching and that's something that's important to us. And it's what we it's how it's our best vehicle for delivering value. You know, but for other people, it could be something completely different, whatever that is, whether you're a digital marketer or whether you're an accountant or a content creator or an author or whatever it might be. You know, these strategies, I think, apply in really to almost anything that we do. You know, one seeking that you know the 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 console the, the the guidance of someone who's been there. I really like what you said about that, and having someone really watch you and and give you that feedback. That's so important, right? You, t- you know, you talked about athletes. I mean, that's what athletes get because they have a, a coach, someone who can look at them every day and and analyze everything about what they're doing, and then find those little tweaks that are going to make a massive difference later if you adjust those tweaks now. Um, but the, you you said something at the very beginning, which is creating space for reading. And I think that the key there, you know, a lot of times we'll hear the advice, read, read every day. This is important. But you said the thing that happens before that, that must happen before that, it's creating space for reading. I think we all agree that reading books and and is a great way to get that information that we need and, and build our toolkits and really, you know, pack it with all of the valuable things that we can do to help others. But if we don't have the space for that, I think that right there is where the problem is. And so I appreciate that you said that you've created the space for that. And for anyone listening, start there, create the space. Don't even worry about what you're going to read yet. (laughs) Just create the space because without it, it doesn't happen. You could line up the greatest list of books and I've been guilty of that. So I know I've done that where I first started by listing the books I want to read. Let me make a really strategic list of the books that I need to read and, you know, whatever year and map that out, put it on a spreadsheet. Let's get super organized. Let's leave room on that spreadsheet for when I start, when I finish and create all these fancy columns. Didn't matter. There was no space for it. Doesn't happen without space. Andrew, this was great. So many insights about building how you built your dream career, which, you know, hearing now the entire story, your author journey, your coaching journey, and the, and the original journey, you've been doing this all throughout, you know, in different ways. You've, I think the key theme here is the awareness um, of, you know, what feels right for you, what's the best use of your skills, all of these different things combined came together and you listened, you paid attention, you were aware of it, and then you did something about it. You took these actions to start moving you closer. And those actions aren't always extreme, which is another key takeaway here. You didn't have to stay in something you hated and you didn't have to quit something you hate uh, that, that wasn't right for no. you. There was also middle options. And I think that's an important takeaway that there could be a third option, one that fits in between the two that might create another opportunity. And just because you ask for that doesn't mean you'll get it. But if you don't ask, you'll never know. And so I think that was another key takeaway. You know, writing a book. I love it. Like the stories were out there. You know, I love how your your clients are the ones who ultimately inform the book. And I think for anyone listening, a lot of times we put that pressure on for writing a book on us. Like, oh, I have to have a book's worth of stuff to share inside of me. And you're, and it sounds like for you, that wasn't the case. It was actually, no, I have a client's worth, like a whole bunch of clients worth of content and stories that I can pour into a book. And my job is to facilitate that and bring that to the market, bring that to life. 
and then coaching, of course, you know, really where you've now listened to yourself so many times, moved closer to helping people and you decided, you know what, it's time to go all in. And this current chapter that you're in, you get to do it on your terms. You get to bring together everything you've learned and go all in on this skill. You've built a toolbox of skills. You're now someone who dances in the moment. You can jump into that pickup basketball game or you can just walk onto a dance floor and say, I'll grab the next person. I'll be like, let's go. We'll figure it out as we go. So, so many powerful insights there. I just wanted to quickly uh, summarize it and there are many more, but thank you again. Any final thoughts, comments, or ideas you'd love to share before we you know, officially wrap up? Sure. Well, I think because of the theme of your podcast, the things that come to mind where I've seen various people reinvent themselves successfully, you know, once or twice or three times, I think it comes down to several things. The first is having really clear intention. And that doesn't mean about having the clear intention to do something now. It means an intention about what it is you really want to do in your life whenever that opportunity appears. So for me, it's the intention. The second thing then is about actually telling people about it. So many people that I work with who share their intention with me for the first time through coaching. And I ask them, how many other people in the world apart from me and you actually know this is what you want to do for the rest of your life? And there's nobody. I mean, they haven't told anybody. It's either through fear of being ridiculed or it's not possible or whatever it might be. So for me, the second thing is tell as many people as possible that at some point in the future, this is what you intend to do. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is, through the self-awareness we've been talking about, is to actually either through a friend or a coach or a mentor, if you can do this yourself, is really give yourself enough space to be able to step back and say, if I'm really clear about my intention and I've told all these people, what are the two or three key things about me that will get in the way of me achieving that? Because it's always us. Hmm. There's nothing else. doesn't matter how much money we earn how many friends we have or we don't have, it's down to us and our ability to get out of our own way. So I think if we do that, those three steps, there's certainly a clear path through to people living their personal professional dreams on their own terms. I really do truly believe that and I've seen it many times. Awesome. Well, then I think that's the perfect place to wrap up. Andrew, thank you again so much for your time, for sharing your insights, your story, your journey to reinvention. Uh, I think there are plenty of valuable skills that we all took away that we can put into practice right away on our journeys to reinvention. So thank you again. And for anyone who is interested in learning more about his book, learning, following him on LinkedIn, or on any of his platforms, you'll find all of his links in the show notes to this episode. Um, but, you know, Andrew, real quick, where is the preferred place for people to follow you? Yeah, if they go to selfcoachingforleaders.com or look in my LinkedIn profile, they're the two best places. Awesome. Thank you again, Andrew. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Roger. Really been good to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.